You are listening to The Robert Scott Bell Show. Is there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. As we get Dr. Batar on the line here momentarily, uh, Super Don, this is really advanced, but we've got a couple of stories I want to want to cover with uh, Dr. Batar. Neuroscientists have accidentally discovered a whole new role for the cerebellum, and that were, if that weren't enough for one show, we could do the whole hour on that. Lungs aren't just for breathing, a new study suggests. They found a whole other function of the lungs. I mean, good Lord, wow. modern medicine, uh, where are they? Are they just now catching up to nature? Who'd have thought that, uh, you know, all this time we thought lungs were just for breathing, but apparently they play another function. Yeah, no, and I've said this normally, uh, respiration is the acknowledged function of the lungs, uh, O2 to CO2 exchange. And in many cases, we find that people who have been on antibiotics repeatedly for many infections end up having lung infections too, pneumonias, because their liver and kidneys have been hammered so much by the drugs and other things in their lifestyle that their lungs begin to act as another form of an excretory organ. Like the liver and kidneys, they become more like, hey, dump us anything here because it ain't getting out that way, and then you end up having fluid in the lungs and then potential infections, pneumonia. It could be very dangerous. But this goes beyond that in, in acknowledging a new function to the lungs in production of platelets. Dr. Rashid Batar is back with us. And it's like, how much does modern medicine not know about the body, yet still to discover? Well, you know, Robert, this lung thing, this goes back into the, um, back into the ancient um, thought processes of what the lung does and how, what it accomplishes. And one of the things that people don't recognize is the lung is one of the most significant organs of detoxification. Mm-hmm. And I say that normally in terms of, of CO2, but, of course, we find that the body adapts to unusual circumstances and dysfunction of other excretory organs, and it becomes a, a compromised organ that's being asked to do almost too much. That's exactly right. So, you know, what other organ systems uh, play a certain role in certain other uh, components of how the body works outside of what the traditional medical uh, hierarchy recognizes? So when you look at... Uh, organs of detoxification that we think about, that you and I would talk about, organs of detoxification like the liver. Well, even conventional medicine understands that liver has a lot to do with um, detoxification because that's what the liver does. But in, I believe, the Far East philosophies, is not the liver a source of uh, where heat is or anger is or something like that? Uh, again, I'm not... Yes. Well, we're yeah, no, no, area, you're right. But you're right about the anger because I, I, a lot of times, like if I'll give somebody a homeopathic remedy for their liver, like uh, bryonia or chelidonium, they'll often become angry out, out of the blue. They're like, well, what happened? You gave me this remedy. I got angry. Why did I get angry? It's like because you store some of that anger in the liver. That is true. Exactly. So there's so many different roles, and depending on the tradition that you're looking at, whether it's uh, the Far East, whether it's Ayurvedic, 
uh, whether it's the Mayan, you know, ancient Egyptian, many different cultures have different belief systems of what organs, certain organs do for for the body, uh, the purpose that they serve the body. So I am not surprised when they when they said that the study that the lungs has a different function just besides breathing, because I believe that many of our organ systems have functions that we have not recognized in modern medicine. For example, the prostate in a male or the uterus in a female. Well, we think the prostate is where all um, you know the, the, the cushioning for the um, seminal vesicles and, and the urethra, etc., and the uterus mm-hmm. is obviously where the baby is um, is carried. But there are other parts to this puzzle that we don't really understand. For example, when a person ends up having prostate cancer and they remove the prostate from um, for, for the for with the radical prostatectomy, versus they leave the prostate in place but they end up doing, say, a TERP procedure or they use chemo or whatever else. The interesting thing is the people that have had their prostate removed, again, remember, it's all for the cancer, so they're treating the cancer. One is with removal, the other one, it's changed. The prostate remains, but they treat it whatever means that do chemo, radiation, whatever. The right. interesting thing is the people that end up having their prostate surgically removed, they end up having an 18-month lesser lifespan their morbidity mortality is actually reduced by 18 months compared to the other patients that are conventionally treated with radiation, chemo, without a radical prostatectomy. So that tells us that the prostate is playing a role that we may not recognize on some other plane, on some other mm-hmm. realm, you know, some energetic or something. Sure. I don't know what the answer is. I just know it's playing a different role. So our limited thought process and our limited beliefs on what organs do for our body, they are limited to what our brains can conceive, and there's many other aspects that we haven't recognized yet in modern medicine. Yeah, interesting. Earlier today on the phone, I was talking to a, like an engineer, total molecular reductionist, and he had a lot of questions about the silver ion, and we were talking some science stuff, and he said, but you're a homeopath. I don't believe in homeopathy, and I just laughed at him. I said, listen, for your materialistic reductionist brain, I will tell you this, because I like you. <laughs> I don't mind talking to those guys, right? I, they have now instrumental, instrum, instruments that are sensitive enough that they have determined that there are, in fact, nanoparticles that still exist in homeopathic remedies diluted beyond the number of Avogadro. We now call that nanopharmacology. Now, now I'm not saying that I'm relying solely on chemistry because, you know, we have a life that is well beyond just chemicals. But for the sake of an engineer who couldn't handle the idea of that, I said, all right. Grab onto one or two molecules and go because your neurotransmitters, your endocrine system, these compounds are in your body at such minute dosages. You can measure them on the scale of one part per 10 billion and beyond. That's pretty amazing. And when you start looking at this, the nanopharmacology as you discussed, you know, Deb brought it to my attention. She was um, talking to me about this previously, and we went to a conference about a year ago. Uh, Greg Braden conference, and she just reminded me of that same conversation based upon what we're talking about now, the role of the heart. We know the heart is a pump. It circulates the blood in the body, and so there's many other roles. People know that it can, uh, creates the electrical um, uh, circuit, the, the, basically the full circuit that's necessary for the heart to actually pump. So it's not only a pump, but it's also then providing support for other aspects of the circulatory system. But what's interesting that's happened recently uh, in the last maybe 20 years, there have been certain phenomena that people could not explain, and now they've found that the heart actually has nerve tissue in there, which actually has, it's a separate brain. Now, <laughs> yes. some people would say, well, this is, this, 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 and I think you know what I'm talking about, but a lot of people, in fact, mm-hmm. medical 
people. A lot of doctors don't recognize where this research has gone. They don't recognize where we are in this current research. But they are cases of people having a heart transplant. And um, one, one particular case that comes to mind, a little girl that had a heart transplant done. After she had the heart transplant, she started having these nightmares. In these nightmares, she was being pursued by somebody. She didn't understand. Her parents had done all sorts of different work trying to figure out what's going on, why she's having these nightmares. She never had this before her heart transplant. So they take her to um, a psychiatrist who ends up, uh, after everything, can't figure out what's going on. So he basically reverts back to relying on hypnosis. He takes her through a regressional hypnosis situation and finds out that this girl um, that has a heart, the person that had the heart actually had been murdered and this little girl that has not the heart transplant is reliving that memory. But that's not possible because it's a heart transplant. So how could she be reliving this memory? Well, they, they then got the police involved. The police go and find the guy that, because the little girl was able to describe to a T what this person was. They go and confront this person. He admits that he murdered the girl, and the, the case was solved. But the point is that this all happened from a heart transplant. There are other cases of people that had a very good lifestyle. They hated French fries. Uh, they didn't eat fried chicken. They end up having uh, a massive coronary or whatever they end up having. They have a heart transplant. And now, all of a sudden, they have this craving for French fries and Kentucky <laughs> Fried Chicken. And they can't understand why is this person having it. Well, then the person traces back their steps, goes back to find the family that where he got the heart, thanks them for that, and they come to find out that the person who died loved French fries and right. Kentucky Fried Chicken. Cellular memory. Exactly. But, but it's more than cellular memory because now the mm -hmm. current investigations have shown that there is truly a brain, a, a, another mini-brain. There's mm -hmm. neurological tissue that has, it's completely independent from cardiac function that is in the heart. So when we talk about it, did you think with your head or did you think with your heart? This mm -hmm. goes back, you know, hundreds of, you know, tens of thousands of years thinking with your heart. Well, why would you think with the circulatory organ? Well, you would think with the circulatory organ if there was some kind of a brain in there. Yeah, exactly. And expanding our discussion of what these organs are, one of the controversies with the pineal gland uh, we've talked about over the years, but with the lung and this new lung function as it relates to development of blood plasma or blood uh, platelets, fascinating to me. But then I thought about another aspect of the lungs, not just CO2O2 exchange, but prana, P-R-A-N-A, -A, the life force, the vital force. When you breathe deeply, when you meditate, when you exercise, you take in that life force. And, of course, they're talking about stem cells, neutral cells that develop into the, the, the blood cells, for instance, here. So it's a perfect place to get the life force, the prana energy in to develop that. It makes perfect sense. Absolutely. This is what, in the Far East, they call the, uh, the chi. The chi, uh, yes. Or, or, exactly. So it's the same aspect in martial arts. We're taught to focus in on the breath. Focus in on the breath. Focus in the breath. Everything comes up. It's like in real estate, location, location, location. In martial arts, it's always focus in on your breath. Well, I've heard that before. I didn't quite understand it until I physically experienced something with a grandmaster, a ninth-degree grandmaster in Shaolin-style kung fu, in taekwondo, in qigong, and in tai chi. This guy was a grandmaster in four levels. I mean, there's only probably a half a dozen grandmasters in the ninth degree. He had actually an honorary from the American Karate Association for a 10th degree. But this guy, I was training with him, and he was talking about different aspects. I think you and I have talked about this off the air before, but the long and the short of it is during this training session where he had a, he had a full-blown pontine stroke. So he was bedridden. They said he'd never be able to walk again. And his daughter, who was a 5th degree, brought him to me from California, and within 
48 hours this man was walking again. We took him through our neurological recovery protocol, some of the stuff that we do with the recovery protocol for stroke patients, and um, that's actually where, where our stroke program came from, but it was based upon some of the work we were doing on autism. So anyway, we got him walking. He was you know, walking with a cane, and he was... He basically, he's actually in the cardiovascular DVD that you narrated, where he thanks me for um, giving him a new life. You know what I'm talking about? Nice. Yeah, yeah. Stand by. we got to take a break. We'll come back on this. Also, the neuroscientists have accidentally, accidentally discovered a whole new role for the cerebellum in the brain that you know about. <laughs> that brain, not the heart brain. So we'll get into that. Also, we got a question of the day that's making me mad. i got to answer that, too. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. Although my work week starts on Sunday... Uh, most people's work week starts Monday. We get Dr. Batar in, and uh, we go advanced medicine each and every week. And if you haven't listened in a long time, there's there's a lot you got to catch up on. And one of the easiest ways to catch up on advanced medicine segments, go to medicalrewind.com, medicalrewind.com. Of course, we're available on GCN, our syndicator, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, UK Health Radio, and, of course, SoundCloud, and you can get that at robertscottbell.com. Now, Dr. Patar, you were talking about this, you know, the new function of the lung, the pre, the, the, the chi, the, the, the prana, the life force. It's really cool stuff. And then you get into almost Jedi master stuff with, you, with you, you know, your martial arts, which is totally cool. And we'll move into the brain as well. Well, I was just going to say, Robert, that uh, working with this grandmaster and hearing all the time of chi and energy and actually having met some people that practice qigong, I knew intellectually the importance of it, but I never really experienced it until this grandmaster was talking with me, and I hadn't made a comment. It's a kind of a long story, so I'll just get to the chase of it. The chase of it was he hit me in the chest at a certain point while he had me breathing. He, mm-hmm. he asked me, can you do this? Can you do that? And, you know, can you do a push-up? I'm like, you know, I do 155 push-ups every day, so it was like no big deal. So I got down to show him I could do push-ups. He stops me. He says, can you do them on your fingers? And I said, okay, yeah, I can do it on my fingers. So I get on my fingers to it. And again, I'm going to show him how many I can do, but he stops me again after one. Each time he stops me after one, can you do it on four fingers? Can you do it on three fingers? He's now got me trying to do push-ups on three fingers, and that was, I've never done it before. And when I said, I've never done that before, I can't, that's when he lost his board with me. He started telling me, never say never, you got me walking, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it was a whole thing. So I get this, he has me stand up, and he has me start to breathe. And he's talking to me about the breath and the importance of breath and how, it's so important for me to know the difference in the breath and experience it, not just because of martial arts, but because I'm a doctor and how it can help other people. He's going through this whole thing, and, and it became monotonous because I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm just exercising the breathing. He's making sure I'm breathing, and I don't know whether it was 20 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour, but I kind of started, you know, your brain starts kind of swimming, and I'm, I'm, off t- I'm not even focusing on what he's saying. He's just rambling on, and all of a sudden he hits me in the chest with a blow so hard to this day, I have a calcification because I think he fractured my sternum. I went flying back probably 30 feet. I hit the wall. Um, it was drywall, and there was an indentation in the drywall where I hit it. But do you know that I felt absolutely no discomfort, no pissing? Because he timed the blow with 
my breath. And his point was that when you, you, you get your power from your breath, and if you control your breath, if you can control your breath and you can manipulate it, you will have unbelievable amount of power. And this was enough to fracture my sternum. I mean, it didn't hurt at all, but I've got a huge callus there, you know, 15 years later. Yes. For truth, when you, anybody can feel on my chest, no discomfort, no pain, nothing. And my brain was saying, you should be in severe pain right now, and nothing wow. because of the power of wow. the breath. So it, it's not something that's just words. It is actuality. And so this comes back to the heart aspect and having a different brain, the lungs, what the roles are, you know, the brains having different components. We, we only use 3% of our brain, they say, right? Einstein mm-hmm. only use 3% of the brain. So the cerebellum study is another component of that uh, type of thing where we're not utilizing the full aspects. We don't know and recognize the full aspects of what our organs can really do. So you're not going to tell me this grandmaster was telling you to breathe from your brain and then knock you upside the head, are you? <laughs> it's appropriate. That would have sometimes been also helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I know. That line. That's good. I like that. Sometimes we get in our own way. And, of course, it's the head versus the heart once again. That's a beautiful uh, concept, and it's very real now in human physiology. From a medical perspective, they're beginning to acknowledge these things, and these are like transducers to different consciousness, different dimensions even. Uh, as we look at the cerebellum now, and I don't fully understand. I haven't gone through this study with a fine-tooth comb, but, again, it's very exciting to see that science is sort of catching up with things the ancients knew. Yeah, actually, it's it's pretty amazing, Robert. And I did not read the study either fully, but uh, just the title of it was was pretty intriguing. And it was interesting that you had the lung one and the cerebellum one. Well, I guess you don't choose which stories you're going to do. You do the most recent stories. But it's interesting we're talking about this topic, and it's, one is lung-related and one is uh, lung um, brain-related. Yet it's the same type of aspect, unrecognition of the different aspects of what organs can do or what they what they were designed to do. Just because they were, we think they do one thing, and mm-hmm. uh, the Creator designed them in His infinite wisdom to do multiple things that we haven't recognized. It's pretty amazing. It, it is, and it's amazing that we get together every week and never run out of things to say. Always fascinating discussions on advanced medicine here on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Rashid Bittar. Again, if you're new to the show, you got to read the international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. When we come back, we'll answer a question today from a listener who I, I hope she's new because if she's been listening a long time, she's in big trouble from both of us. But we're going to be compassionate, I promise. The revolution will be broadcast. The Robert Scott Bell Show. sense out of medical propaganda here's robert all right you can reach out to us through the website robertscottbell.com uh, drop a message could be a question could be a comment you can also call us live or leave a message when we're off the air 866-939-2355-866-939 bell once again archives available all over the place from itunes to soundcloud to of course specific to our hour with dr batar in advanced medicine go to medicalrewind.com lots of great stuff Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours uh, to uh, to keep listening and learning, and you know we have questions of the day come in from time to time. This one, I'm gonna well, I'll get the theme song first, and we'll get into it. But we want to help you, and yet it it made my blood boil. You'll find out why. Excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions. <laughs> 
All right, our question of the day today comes from Karen. Karen is writing in. Karen says, hey, Robert and Dr. Batar, I had a hysterectomy four weeks ago today for endometrial cancer. They removed 16 pelvic lymph nodes and found cancer in one of them and suggest chemo and radiation for about nine months. I'm scared. I'm looking at the baking soda cancer cure and anything else that might help. Do you have any suggestions? Thank you, Karen. Uh, Dr. Batar, when I read this, I got so incensed, my blood was boiling, and I'm not mad at Karen. Unless she's been listening for 10 years, then I'd be mad at Karen because she hadn't been listening to us at all and, and paying attention. But if she's a new listener, I get it. There's a lot of fear associated with cancer, but oncologists that do this, uh, Dr. Batar, should I be as mad as I feel? You are 110% entitled to feel that way, Robert, because this is... The reason you feel this way is not because you're angry at the person or at the system, but you're angry at all the people that end up falling victims to this type of misinformation or lack of knowledge. More importantly, the fear mongering that goes on to make people feel paralyzed and then to take action that is fear motivated as opposed to what it should be love motivated. Yeah, and I keep saying this to ladies hold on to your body parts like a man would not relinquish his testes that easily. Uh, you women are letting go of your, your, your ovaries and your uterus. And, and I know it's a fear-based, uh, male-dominated kind of frighten you to get rid of your organs as if they're the cause of your cancer. And then they rip out 16 lymph nodes, which even if you find cancer in all of them, it isn't the cause of your cancer. But that they only found it in one still doesn't mean the lymph is the cause of your cancer. It's trying to drain it out of the body. It's, it's doing its job, and it was basically ostracized and demonized for doing its job, which is filtering out anything abnormal. So, Robert, before we go on with that point, just to go yes. back, it's not just women that should yeah. hold on to their body parts. Males do, too. And believe it or not, a lot of males have had orchiectomies done, the removal of the testicles for prostate cancer, which is actually the most barbaric thing, as barbaric as taking out the uterus, because the production of testosterone is the one thing that actually protects the body. It's not testosterone that feeds the cancer. It's the dihydrotestosterone. And actually, when you have the testicles intact, you're reducing dihydrotestosterone because you have more testosterone production. But again, it's not just a females, you hold on to your body parts, and males, you know, hold on to their body parts better. There are a lot of males that have lost their body parts, and it's not just your body parts like your testicles and your uterus, but all body parts, gallbladder. I mean, Robert, mm-hmm. you and I have talked about this off the air, on the air. I yes. had a surgeon that came to my office. You know, why did you have the gallbladder removed? He himself had a gallbladder removed. His surgical history is telling me that. And he's done, I don't know how many cholecystectomies. I don't know how many I did when I was in training. And and I asked him, what, what was the reason? Did you have a um, HIDA scan done? He said, well, I had a HIDA scan, a HIDA scan done, and it was uh, down to my gallbladder. was only working 10% of the time, or was only working to 10% efficiency. And he and I both had the epiphany at the same exact time said, wait a second, you're down 90%. You're only functioning 10%. So what do we do? We take, take it all the way out? Mm-hmm. You know, we should take that 10% up to 20%. We shouldn't just annihilate the whole thing and say, oh, you know, I don't understand how to get it functioning better, so let me just take the whole system out. Right. This is yeah. a problem. We cut things out. Uh, surgeons, he, heal with steel, and when in doubt, cut it out. Those were our mottos when I was in general surgery. And they might sound funny, but that is really what the principles that we live by. Yet the father of surgery, which was Sabiston, Dr. Sabiston said that surgery is the ultimate admission of failure. Hmm. That is La- what, that's what the father of surgery said. 
Dr. Batar, last hour I said using drugs is an, also an admission of failure, although there's a place for them if you're getting somebody on and off out of a crisis. But when you put them on permanently, that is an admission of failure too. But you're right. The surgery is like, we failed. That's the last-ditch effort. Let's get in there. And, and granted, I recognize if there are tumors that are growing to the point where it's blocking functions that can kill you, there's a warranted reason to go in and pull something like that out. But in this case, I don't know. We don't know Karen's case specifically, but what it elicits in me and my response is like, oh, my gosh, they played another one. And, of course, this is why Ty Bollinger put out the truth about cancer is to kind of raise the the awareness that there are other ways to go and that you shouldn't just jump based on the fear of doctors who are basically programmed and they profit off of cutting, slashing, radiating, burning, poisoning. That's exactly right, Robert. So when you go back to the father of surgery saying that that – Surgery is the ultimate admission of failure, and you start looking at actually what the purpose of surgery is. He said, Asabson said, that a monkey can do surgery. It's the pre-op and post-operative care that makes a surgeon a surgeon. So the actual mechanical aspect of it is the least important part of surgery. Now, of course, there are you know, the technical aspects. Some people are more talented than others. We won't get into that. But the point is that it is by doing something like surgery, it's the ultimate form of defeat or ultimate form of failure, admission of failure. So now you start looking at, as you mentioned just now, things like having to remove a part of the body or debulk a cancer because it's causing mass effect and occlusion or obstruction. All these things are fine. Surgery is needed in trauma, for example. There's only one way to treat a gunshot wound or, or blunt trauma. You have to go in there and make sure that if the, last, the liver is lacerated or, or there's a, you know, some type of injury to the spleen, it has to be removed, otherwise the person will bleed to death within four, five, six hours. They'll be dead. So, yes, surgery is a needed tool, but it's a tool. And to use a tool like surgery for other in fact, that we know now are not the best thing because surgery is kind of like, and again, I'm not talking from an anti-surgery perspective because I, I was a surgeon. That's what my training is in. So I'm not an anti-surgery person. But to do surgery would be analogous to going to a field that has a bunch of weeds and pulling out a weed and thinking that you fixed the problem in the field. And now another weed pull, pick, pops up in another place. Another weed pops up in another place. Right. If you want to get rid of the weeds, you have to do something systemic to the soil. And it's not that you use herbicide to kill the weeds because they'll just keep on coming back. You'll have other weeds that come up. It's that you have to understand that the weed is a symptom of some type of a problem with the soil, with the balance. You need to reestablish the balance and get rid of that imbalance so that no weeds come back. Weeds are a consequence of imbalance. So yes, it's the same in, thing with the body. In Karen's case, Dr. Batar, she consulted with basically weed whackers. Yes, that's exactly uh, right. I mean, you know, again, this is the thing. What we have, and I said this, in, in America we have a state-sanctioned religion, the Church of Pharmaceutical Mysticism, and one of those vaulted fields or parts of that church is oncology. And my gosh, if you look to go outside of it, you, you know, you're looked at as, as a heretic, much less if you're in it as a doctor doing something holistic. It still is that case. But she goes in, probably, you know, trusts the doctors because she doesn't know she's frightened. And not only do they uh, remove her uterus, probably her ovaries too, but to take out 16 lymph nodes, I mean, it takes it and makes it even, I, I don't know the height of stupidity involved in this, that this doctor did this. Well, but it's, it's a common thing that happens. In fact, it's called the standard of, it's a standard of standard care. Of care and yeah. if you deviate from the standard of care, then you're doing something wrong. Let's, but let's look at the standard of care. It's a standard of care to take the one system that, in cancer, the one system that is trying to protect you, that's your lymphatics, 
your lymphatics are designed to uh, to basically separate the, the crap, the crud, get it out of your system, get all the stuff that shouldn't be in your system, including the cancer cells or anything else abnormal. It's designed, that's what lymph nodes are designed for. They're little mini filters. So these mini filters are trying to clean, keep the body clean, trying to capture all the uh, cancer cells, all the debris, all the toxicities, and that's what they're doing. And what do we do? We go in there and we say, okay, well, let's take the 16 nodes, these 16 lymph nodes that are designed, the 16 filters that are designed to clean the body, and let's remove them just to see if there's any cancer in there. Well, right. first of all, common sense would say that if your body's working, it's going to catch cancer somewhere, okay? Because if you have 16 nodes out of 16, you know that you have cancer. You may have a fungal infection, you may have something else. I'm not sure if you have cancer. But let's say one node comes back positive with the cancer. That means that it wasn't that bad, but you just took out 16 filters that are designed to protect you. Right. Just so remove... So, so now, Dr. Batar, the, the answer for Karen, right, and, and she's not our patient, so it's not like we can tell her what to do. That's not what we're doing, but options. You know, the things that I wrote about with Ty and, and Unlock the Power to Heal are pretty simple and basic, and you can't go wrong doing them. You might need more than that. But I talk about the role of minerals like selenium, chromium, silica to protect the connective tissue, things like that. But we're talking about altering the terrain so cancer doesn't grow again, much like the weed analogy. Nothing that these oncologists have presented to Karen would do that. So where does she go now? I don't think the baking soda cancer cure is sufficient. Well, it's the same. It's the same issue. It's just addressing one aspect of it. How right. is baking soda going to address the glucose, obligate glucose metabolism that cancer um, survives in? How is uh, baking soda going to address the heavy metal component? How is baking soda going to address the um, spiritual aspect, the spiritual toxicity right. aspect, or the fifth toxicity, the emotional psychological aspect. How is toxicity going to do with uh, deal with the persistent organic pollutants or the, the endoc- energetic toxicities and the electromagnetic energies and uh, all that stuff? Right, and I was thinking the endocrine disruptors if they went after her female body parts, so to speak. So there's a lot of that involved, too. But, again, that's exactly. why I want you to read the nine steps to keep the doctor away. Keep listening. Go back to the archives. We talk about this. Go watch the, the, uh, the Truth About Cancer series. You're going to get a lot of insights and a lot of options, Karen, that are out there beyond what your oncologist is telling you, and we want you to have the freedom to make decisions based on more information, not less. I, I would completely concur with that, Robert. That's what uh, anybody who is fear-oriented or has been, uh, has been taking action based on fear, that they should empower themselves with knowledge, and those, those areas that you can empower yourself immediately with would be, I appreciate, Robert, you mentioning the book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, um, I am proud of that book, and it has done well, and uh, ties uh, Truth About Cancer series. Um, there's, uh, there's many resources a person can get. You've got Dr. Google that you can go to, and you can start <laughs> yes. Googling and seeing what the differences and opinions are. And there's a lot of good information out there. Natural News has a lot of good information. Uh, many, of the, many of the doctors that were on Ty's uh, um, program, they had great information. Such information there is a shortage of the desire to step out of the box, find that information, and become empowered by it. Yeah, and listen, prayer. Sit down quietly, Karen. Pray, meditate, contemplate. Listen to the voice of spirit trying to direct you in a different way. You reached out to us. That's evidence in my mind, in my heart, that you're looking for something else and that spirit will deliver as long as you don't get in your own way or let those doctors get in your way. Because healing is yours. It's your birthright. We're just here to let loose on it as well. We'll be back and talk about how a positive outlook may be good for your health. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. 
Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Won't you join us the last week of April in San Diego, California for the best answer for cancer. Thanks to Andy Brandt. Guess what? Not just me. But Dr. Rasha Batar is going to be joining me and a, and a bunch of other docs. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Dr. Batar, I'm so excited. We're going to be able to get to hang out a little bit in San Diego and see you, and you're going to be presenting some new uh, information on cancer specifically. Yeah, actually, it's a protocol for uh, the, the, something that we've been using for about uh, about a year now. But, uh, yes, cancer, the evidence of it in cancer is pretty remarkable, and the support in the literature is pretty remarkable. But actually, it's more circulatory is how I discovered it. And then the aspect from the biofilm aspect, the anti-carcinogenic aspect, uh, pretty phenomenal. Excellent, excellent. Well, listen, while we're on the break, another uh, question of the day came through from Bill. And he says he was diagnosed with chronic lymphocytic leukemia in 2001, currently coming out of remission after 10 years. He's looking over the non-traditional treatment options, and he said he's been researching your clinic, Dr. Batar. But he says there's so much negative information on the Internet about Dr. Batar that my family is very concerned about my interest in being a patient of you, of his, of yours. Uh, it would be extremely helpful if you could point me to some positive or negative information about the Center for Advanced Medicine and Clinical Research. I'm really up against the wall since my blood counts are extremely high and my lymph nodes are swelling. Many thanks. Uh, Bill, listen, you know what? I'm going to say it this way. If any of my family members developed cancer, I don't imagine that they will based on our lifestyle, but let's say it happened. You know where I'm going? To Dr. Batar and the Center for Advanced Medicine. You, you got me here? Now, the, the thing is, he's been attacked viciously. I'm speaking like you're not here, Dr. Batar. speaking to Bill right now. Uh, he's been attacked so viciously because he's been doing something very right. That doesn't happen if you're not helping people to overcome serious diseases that the establishment says you can't. So there's a lot of good information at medicalrewind.com, Bill. You can go there. Your family can go there. You can watch videos. You can hear testimonials from patients. There's a lot of extraordinary things out there. You can read the nine steps to keep the doctor away. And I'm not saying you have to go to Dr. Batar. He's a friend of mine, and I'm just telling you what I feel about him. God's honest truth. I know you've got to deal with your family, too. They're frightened, and we need a family that's going to support us, or else you're going to have to distance yourself from them with whatever decision you make because you don't need any negativity in recovering on your path to healing. So with that, I'll turn it over to Dr. Batar. Robert, that last part that you said is so crucial because that was my advice to him would be not to come to us. We've got, I don't know, four or five-month waiting period anyway, uh, but, but if the family's against him, he's already got a problem and it's going to be a difficult issue. And what you just said, that is the highlight, that your family, you must have, support you need to have somebody you need to have a coach that's unconditional supportive mm-hmm. of you that is willing to do whatever it takes to block uh anybody else's opinions because the only opinion that counts is your opinion and yet uh, loves you enough to put a boot in your ass when you need it so that you yeah. can move forward um and if you don't have family support or they're against it then i don't care how good anybody is you don't want to go there so right yeah um i appreciate mm-hmm. what you said robert i, I really mm-hmm. do um and that type of uh when somebody, the, the biggest compliment anybody can do is to put their lives in my hand, and that's a huge thing. People realize how huge that is, but to me it's a huge thing. Yet people do it every day. People put their lives in doctor's hands. And I've had the blessing, I've had the, the, the luxury, and, and the great fortune of having had taken care of people from 
many parts of the world, 85 different countries. And, Robert, when you said that just now, you know, I don't think anybody's ever asked you that before, but that, that again, means it, it never takes – it never becomes small. It always remains the highlight when somebody says something like that. Or afterwards, after we see them, they say, that, you know, we saved the life of this or that. Right. It never gets dull. It never loses its impact. So yeah. I appreciate you saying that, but um, – you know, there's a lawyer that was on um, an Internet website that basically came on after somebody attacked me. He said, I don't know who Dr. Bittar is. I don't know the Center for Advanced Medicine. But as far as I'm concerned, he's 35 years spending uh, his life defending doctors that had left foreign objects and cutting up the wrong legs and, you know, this and that, malpractice. And he said that in all my years, he said, I've, I've never seen a doctor attack so viciously. And he said, as far as I'm concerned, he must have done something right to have released the hounds of hell upon himself. So <laughs> I haven't ever been you know, sued, malpractice or anything. But mm-hmm. yes, I'm viciously talked about. And I, for myself, and I think my close friends like Robert and some of my other close friends, they, as a badge of honor, I definitely see that as a badge of honor. So, All right. Well, Bill, thank you so much for asking the question. I don't know if you're in California. You didn't say where you're from, Bill, but if you can meet us in April in uh, The Best Answer for Cancer, that's a great opportunity. Check out The Truth About Cancer. Our friend Dr. Tony Jimenez was featured in there. That might be something that resonates with you, but whatever. We're here to support everybody to make a choice that will you know, be with them and support them in the love, that vitamin L that's so necessary for survival and recovery. Dr. Batar, thanks. Tell them what they need to know before we got to go. The power to heal. Not a the Robert Scott Bell Show. Yes, it is. Scott Bell Show.